Good evening, good evening, good evening. This is the Common Sense Party Podcast. I'm your host, the O-T-T-L-E-Y. It is Monday, May 1st. Time to pay the rent. Well, on today's show, we're going to talk about getting fired on your day off. Don Lemon, Tucker Carlson, we might talk Bill Maher, DeSantis, and Trump. But, again, I'm your host, D-O-T-T-L-E-Y. This is the Common Sense Party Podcast. We are here to inform our listeners on topics that affect the everyday life. Rate, review, follow, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. We are available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Amazon Podcasts, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. And yes, we're still working on Apple. First, I'd like to shout out all the people who downloaded the podcast uh, from Brussels, Belgium, Ashford, Virginia, Wolford, Codona, California, Council Bluffs, San Francisco, California. We got France, Snellville, Turton, Italy, United Republic of Congo, Tucson, Compton, and Los Angeles. Thank you so much for downloading and listening every week. Please tell a friend, tell a friend we're trying to get our message out. If you want to support the podcast, the information is on the episode. First up, how do you get fired on your day off? We are going to see how Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson got has this done. Right now, the media landscape is significantly different than it was just two hours ago, with two of the highest profile cable hosts out of a job. First, the news that Tucker Carlson, who was regularly drawing three million viewers a night, parted ways with Fox News. And then, just an hour later, Don Lemon tweeting he is out at CNN after 17 years with that network. I want to bring in NBC senior reporter Jane Tim. Joyce Vance is a former U.S. attorney, professor at the University of Alabama Law School, and an MSNBC legal analyst. Eric Deggins is a TV critic for NPR. I'm glad to have all of you here. Jane, first get us up to speed on Tucker Carlson specifically. What do we know? So Tucker Carlson was, as you said, a ratings giant. His departure appears unexpected, at least last week on Friday. He said, see you Monday, uh, gave a major keynote address at a heritage party this weekend. Uh, it does not appear that it had uh, was planned, and Tucker Carlson's not out with a statement. Now, we have no reporting that indicates it's tied to the massive Dominion settlement from last week that we've been reporting on so so closely, uh, but the timing is, of course, curious. And whether or not it's related to the alleged defamation and that massive settlement, or perhaps something we might have learned about Tucker Carlson or Fox News might have learned about Tucker Carlson uh, is, is what people are sort of curious about now. The timing is, as I said, uh, curious. Uh, the idea that a lot of emails, communications, and internal uh, sort of workings of his show and other shows at Fox came out in the, sort of the bathwater of this Dominion lawsuit. We also know that uh, a buyer producer, Abby Grossberg, uh, alleged harassment and a toxic work environment in a lawsuit that came after the Dominion one. Um, and that was a, there was an outside counsel that investigated uh, those claims and told her lawyers that they were unfounded. But that investigation did conclude recently. So whether or not it's something to do with that or something we have you know, at this point, no idea about yet uh, remains to be seen. Uh, would it be fair to say, Eric, that this is shocking? It isn't every day 
whatever happened and that lawsuit and $787 million notwithstanding, also not to minimize it, but to get rid of your most popular host. Yes, it is shocking. And it, I think it's also proof that for people who are concerned about uh, the misinformation and disinformation that appears on Fox News, uh, perhaps the most effective way of combating it is to target the way the channel makes money off of the, these kinds of broadcasts. Uh, a big settlement figure, uh, also a sense uh, that there was another lawsuit waiting in the wings. There's also another voting machine company uh, that is poised to sue Fox News. And if you think about uh, other people, big stars who've been displaced from Fox News in recent years, Roger Ailes, the founder of the company, and Bill O'Reilly, who was then its biggest star, both got displaced following sexual harassment claims. And so, uh, you know, I'm looking at this lawsuit from the uh, uh, former uh, booking producer, Abby Grossberg, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm wondering if that was a factor as well. Well, Joyce, again, as of right now, there is no public connection between Tucker Carlson's departure and the defamation lawsuits Fox has faced and, and obviously just settled. So we, you know, we don't know. Neither side has said that. But if you're working, for example, on the defamation suit for Smartmatic, a voting technology uh, company, does his departure change your strategy at all? Does it change the legal part of this at all? Right, so that could possibly be a motivation behind uh, Tucker Carlson's departure from Fox at this point in time. You know, the Dominion case is over. The pain of that settlement was already baked in. So why cause the company to lose value as it did after the announcement that Carlson would no longer be with them? And the Smartmatic lawsuit could be one answer to that. There's still redacted pleadings from the Dominion case. We don't know what's in them, but we do know that Carlson made a number of damaging comments, including the point at which he tried to get a fact checker fired because he thought that checking facts would, would cause them to lose viewers and to lose money. So that sort of information moving into the Smartmatic case, a $2 billion lawsuit, might be something that Fox decided that the freight was a little bit too heavy to bear and it was time to rip the Band-Aid off. Eric, I mentioned Don Lemon is also out from CNN. Both sides agree he's leaving, but Lemon tweeted that he heard it from his agent and complained that management didn't talk to him directly after 17 years with the network. CNN then tweeted out a statement saying, quote, Don Lemon's statement about this morning's events is inaccurate. He was offered an opportunity to meet with management, but instead released a statement on Twitter. Uh, Lemon also said, by the way, Eric, that there were larger issues at play. What do you make of this? Well, I think it's going to take some reporting uh, and uh, some time for this dust to settle to figure out exactly what happened here. But it seems obvious that Don Lemon's comments uh, that were viewed as misogynistic and problematic earlier, um, that, that that has continued to resonate and that that um, was making it difficult uh, for the channel. Uh, there's the, uh, the LA Times has one quote saying that they're hearing from unnamed sources uh, that there was a backlash from building amongst the advertisers and some people who might support their broadcast. And certainly their, their ratings, uh, they were struggling for ratings. Uh, and they needed a big change 
to signal that uh, things might be different and try to get viewers to watch the show again. So it's one of those situations where you may have seen a bunch of different uh, influences coming together uh, in, 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 one, in one big move. It's surprising that it, that it happens so quickly and that uh, it's happening in kind of a messy public way. Yes, Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson got fired on the same day. I think, I think that Carlson got fired because of a pending lawsuit with a previous anchor, but Lemon got fired because he's an asshole. I just think that way. That's what I think. And the one thing I don't understand is, did they plan it? Did they plan to fire them at the same time? That's the that's the one thing I don't understand. Did they plan to fire them at the same time? But the late night hosts were having a ball of it. Check it out. Hi, I'm Jimmy Fallon, one of the few TV personalities who's still employed. Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson. I, for those of you who don't follow cable news, this is like if Ronald McDonald and the Burger King got fired on the same day. Tucker's firing is going to leave a huge white power vacuum at Fox. <laughs> Last Friday was his final show, which is great, but also unsettling. At least when he had a show, we knew where he was. Tucker couldn't be reached for comment. He's already on a plane to Moscow to meet with his manager. <laughs> Tucker Carlson has now worked and left MSNBC, CNN and Fox News. He's running out of options now. Like soon he's just going to be on the Weather Channel saying that hurricanes are caused by drag queens. Apparently Tucker was forced out by Rupert Murdoch, which is pretty ironic. Tucker spent so many years saying that Mexican people were coming to take our jobs away. Turns out he should have been worrying about Australians. <laughs> Giant news, Tucker Carlson fired, uh, Don Lemon fired. I'd say at uh, MSNBC, somebody better watch themselves. But actually, uh, the head of NBC News was fired just a couple of days ago. So apparently it comes in threes. Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson, very, very different situations. It looks like Tucker Carlson was trying to get fired. Don Lemon was definitely trying not to get fired. They both got fired anyway. And there's a giant difference between them. I'm going to explain that in one second. But remember, guys, we do a live show every day uh, at 6 o'clock Eastern, 6 to 8, for the Young Turks. Uh, and Anna and I will have a lot more details on how they got fired, why they got fired during the live show. Make sure you're checking that out right here, either on YouTube.com slash or either on YouTube.com slash The Young Turks or on, or on our website at TYT.com slash live. Okay, so um, Don Lemon is getting scapegoated. That doesn't mean that Don Lemon's a great guy or a wonderful news anchor. It uh, doesn't speak to any of his views, etc., etc. And I've had my some issues with Don Lemon before, but he's really a symptom. He's not uh, a driver of anything. Uh, and what's happening to him is basically, if you watch Succession, they're burying him on purpose. They leak the crap out of stuff uh, to make him look bad. Why, they need a scapegoat. Why do they need a scapegoat? Because they're centrist BS turn where they just do vanilla programming from the 1990s isn't working at all. Their ratings are tanking everywhere. 
but this is when executives need to be able to point to someone and go, it's definitely not us, it's one of the anchors, it's unacceptable, it's definitely Don Lemon's fault, and they make it seem like it's all Don Lemon. Absurd! Absurd! That doesn't mean that Don Lemon was some amazing anchor. Don Lemon was hired for general vanilla stuff in the first place. But that's all on management, not on Lemon. Now, on Tucker, it's the complete opposite. He's patient zero at Fox News. He's the one that does the most lies, the most conspiracy theories, etc. And the one behind the scenes cost Fox News a ton of money in that Dominion lawsuit by saying, well, this is obvious BS, where these the people we're showing on air are nuts and insane, uh, but he does it anyway. And then he goes and doubles down with Donald Trump and does an interview where they spread more election lies, especially as the Smartmatic case is coming up. Don't forget, Dominion was not the end. Smartmatic is now going to sue them for $2.7 billion, more than Dominion even sued them. There's Some are speculating that uh, Tucker Carlson getting fired was part of the Dominion settlement. That would be kind of amazing. I would be very surprised by that. But Tucker's been going more and more populist to try to goad Fox News into firing him. Why? Well, my speculation has been throughout, and Young Turks viewers know this from now years ago, uh, is that I think Tucker Carlson was pushing Fox News to get fired so he could run as a populist candidate for president. Uh, Danger Dave, uh, thank you for the super chat. I'll answer your question in a second. Um, So, And I shout out members on the live ones, too, and I shout out uh, super chat questions. So real quick, um, 2024 is not over, guys. There's a lot of people that can still get in the race. Uh, This comes uh, quickly enough for Tucker Carlson that he might even make a run here. And the whole idea behind this is Fox News wouldn't let me say the truth. Oh, that's catnip. That's populist catnip for the right wing. So him being the leading conspiracy theorist, the leading guy who's driving the crazies, the patient zero at Fox News, that puts him in perfect political position, unfortunately. Okay? So Danger Dave asked in Super Chat, is Sean Hannity next? Okay, one, no. Sean Hannity's a team player. He'll do whatever corporate douchebaggery that Fox News wants. Uh, he's not like Tucker Carlson pushing populism. And if Murdoch says go support DeSantis, Hannity will be a team player and support DeSantis no matter how much he loved and supported Donald Trump before. Whereas Tucker Carlson was uncontrollable. And that is one of the main, main reasons that I think he was let go now. Okay, And so if Hannity gets fired next, then I'm wrong. It's all part of the Dominion of Smartmatic lawsuits, and they're getting rid of all the people who lied on air. So that'll be, you know how I give you guys predictions ahead of time to see if we're right or wrong? So you can see there that if Hannity gets fired, my theory about Tucker wasn't correct. They are actually trying to modulate and make sure they don't cost themselves more money because of the lawsuits. My theory is it is not that. It is that Tucker was pushing them by saying too many things that got them in too much legal trouble and cost them too much money. And Tucker was doing it on purpose so it can seem like the martyr. And by the way, um, and, and they get NKS, uh, I think it was 3472 with the Super Chat. You're right, it's Bloody Monday in media and cable news. Uh, I called it hashtag uh, Bloody Media Monday on, on Twitter. Uh, but, but I think Tucker is happy with this news. I think he wants to run as the martyr. And that's the main point. All right, we've got a lot more for you guys on the live show, including Tucker clips that give you a sense of what's happening here and what he's done in the past. So this is really important. Make sure you check it out tonight.
That is TYT. Thank you so much. Yes, I agree that Tucker Carlson is probably going to play martyr, but he might run for office. That one I'm not sure of. Who knows? He might do it. He might not. But let's talk about the ratings at Fox after you left. Check it out. Two bloodbaths, one that is taking place and one that could take place a few months from now. The first one is a bloodbath in the Fox News ratings. And I know that this brings such great pleasure to so many in my audience. Some feel bad, but the most important thing is that this is a bloodbath that is taking place without any government overreach, without any suppression of anybody's speech or anything of the sort. It is a self-inflicted bloodbath for Fox News. Fox News has lost half of its audience since firing Tucker Carlson during that time slot. And there's a lot of different interesting layers to this, and many, many of you have been writing, is this the end of Fox News? Well, no, it's not, it's not the end of Fox News, but is this the end of Fox News as we knew it? Well, that's a different question, and we still have to wait and see the outcomes of multiple additional lawsuits that still remain in play, even though the Dominion lawsuit has been settled for $787.5 million. Uh, Salon article, it's a bloodbath. Fox News loses more than half of audience after axing Tucker Carlson. It's not just Tucker's slot, writes the article. Sean Hannity and Laura Ingraham's ratings are falling too. Hundreds of thousands of Fox News viewers have switched off the channel after the network fired top primetime host Tucker Carlson last Monday. Substitute host Brian Kilmeade garnered 1.3 million audience members during that 8 p.m. time slot, down 56% from the 3.05 million viewers who tuned in to watch Carlson last Wednesday, according to Nielsen ratings. The dip allowed MSNBC's Chris Hayes to overtake Fox in ratings, a popularity contest that Carlson used to dominate. The conservative host had an average audience of 3.03 million people for all of 2022. It was the second most popular program on cable after Fox's The Five. It is stunning to me that Fox's The Five is a popular show. It's almost completely unintelligible. But I guess it doesn't really matter when you're talking about Fox News. Okay, we'll get back to that. Uh, when approached for comment, Fox sent a statement saying for 21 years it's been the most watched cable network. And it has a team that's, quote, trusted more by viewers than any other news source. Uh, media reporter Brian Stelter noted in a tweet that Fox's audience ratings plummeted from 2.65 million watching Carlson's final show to 2.59 Monday, 1.7 million Tuesday, 1.3 million Wednesday. What's fascinating about that is that the relatively high ratings on Monday, which was Tucker's first show gone, in other words, Brian Kilmeade's first show as the temporary host there, um, there was a lot of curiosity, sort of like a rubbernecking, how bad is it going to be? It turns out it's really bad. I mean, Kilmeade is not only... Uh, meaningless to listen to, but also extraordinarily unentertaining and uncharismatic. And then a lot of people said, well, if this is the replacement, then I'm out. Um, and uh, it, it sort of has, has gotten worse from there. So let's talk about this in, in a few different contexts. First of all, this isn't one of those, oh, uh, there's dirty tricks, there, there's free speech uh, suppression, and people are being uh, limited by the 
woke mob or whatever else the case may be, as we have now established ad nauseum. Tucker Carlson had good ratings, but was a huge legal risk for Fox. And remember, Fox is, is unique as a cable news network in that it garners the vast majority of its revenues from fees that any of us who have cable pay. Even though I don't watch Fox, I have cable, so I can watch the sports and things like that. And um, a couple bucks, I guess, somewhere between 2 and $4 of my cable subscription goes to Fox News, even though I don't watch Fox News. That makes Fox different than many of these other uh, channels in that the other channels disproportionately rely on ad revenue. So the, the issue with Tucker was not an issue of um, audience. The issue was that he was a huge legal risk. And so what Fox decided to do was to fire Tucker Carlson. And I've already told you the reasons why. Tucker's program partially responsible for disseminating the allegedly defamatory content that led to the $787 million settlement with Dominion, responsible to some degree for the content that led to the ongoing lawsuit from Smartmatic. You have a former staffer of Tucker Carlson's who has filed a lawsuit for alleged discrimination and misogyny, sexism, all sorts of, that's a problem. And then you potentially have another forthcoming lawsuit from Ray Epps, who says that Tucker has made his life miserable by uh, playing up a conspiracy conspiracy theory in which Ray Epps is some kind of FBI uh, agent or actor instigating the January 6th riots. So Fox said this is a huge legal headache. Maybe one of the ways we can mitigate the damages we're going to end up having to pay is by saying we've taken care of what was one of the problems that caused these issues for us in the first place. Fine, Fox News did that. No one coerced them into doing that. The viewers are mad and they don't like Brian Kilmeade and everybody is getting to make their own decisions. Nobody's being coerced here. Now, what's the counterpoint to all of this? While it's nice to see Fox suffering, not because we want to see people go hungry or whatever, it's nice to see Fox suffering because they put out such terrible propaganda that is actively damaging and corrosive to American democracy and thinking. That it's good that bad content suffer. It's alarming to see that a bunch of Fox's audience is not going to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to get my news from the AP and Reuters and for commentary, listen to, you know, I don't know, something much more moderate, uh, some editorial page or whatever the case may be. A lot of the folks furiously tuning out of Fox News may well end up on even more extreme unhinged media outlets like Newsmax or OAN or who the hell knows what. And the United States has a major problem with people have gotten hooked on this sort of thing. As we've talked before, Fox News, in some senses, over the last two years since the 2020 election, became a victim of the monster it created. It knew, we now know from text messages, that they were perpetuating lies about the 2020 election. They knew Trump didn't really win. They knew that a van with sandwiches wasn't really proof that Trump actually won Michigan. or whatever. They knew it, but they also knew their audience, which they've created, expects them to tell those lies. And so now we have a situation where people are addicted to this stuff and they want their manufactured outrage. They want their scapegoats. They want their you know lines like they used to get from Tucker about immigrants make the country dirtier and whatever else the case may be. 
And this is everywhere. Just the other day, I was at a Trader Joe's, and there was a young couple there, maybe mid to late 20s. And uh, the, the guy, it was a, a heterosexual couple, meaning there was a man and a woman. And the a man, they were out. This is so insane. It sounds made up, but it's all too real. I was looking for a particular type of popsicle that my girlfriend likes. It's, it's tangerine, and apparently it's seasonal. So I was looking and saying, sir, ma'am, where is it? They didn't have it. But in that same freezer area, there's normally mochi. Mochi is delicious, absolutely delicious, mochi ice cream. And they were out of the green tea mochi ice cream. And a guy says to his girlfriend, Joe Biden screwed up the dairy supply chain. And that's why there's no effing mochi here. And I said, this has to be a job. I'm sure this guy's kidding. I'm sure this guy is kidding. And I kind of looked over and he wasn't kidding. Okay, this is just a little meaningless anecdote about the type of completely unhinged uh, uh, scapegoating and outrage that the Fox News audience wants. So a real problem for Fox News. I'm sure they will figure it out unless they end up with billions more in settlements. Yeah, they are trying to scapegoat normal people. Well, not normal people. They're trying to scapegoat um, President Biden into everything that is not his fault. I don't understand, but hey, it is what it is. Here is some more about Tucker Carlson. To Fox Nation, which I don't think that would be watch anyway. Um, we're going to, uh, because I, 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 you know, I'm like a representative of the American media now. Speaking to an exile in Romania and welcoming him back into the Brotherhood of Journalists. Yeah, it would help us out if he wore a sweater though, because we asked him not to wear a suit. Like he was panicking about it, so you don't have to. Tucker's gonna be looking uh, casual. That's just how our show looks. Is that okay? I mean, this is airing on the nighttime show, and I want it to look official. I don't want it to be like bro talk. And I and I. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the majority of it, like if we go like 45 minutes, it's going to be for Fox Nation. But nobody's going to watch it on Fox Nation. Nobody watches Fox Nation because the site sucks. So I'd really like to just put the dump the whole thing on YouTube. Um, but anyway, that's just my view. Um, uh, I'm just frustrated with, uh, in, it, it's hard to use that site. I don't know why they're not fixing it. It's driving me insane. And they're like making like, Lifetime movies, but they don't they don't work on the infrastructure of the site like what it's crazy and it drives me crazy because it's like we're doing all this extra work and no one can find it. It's unbelievable. Actually, I don't know who runs that site. We're going to play a sizable chunk on the show tomorrow night. That's the plan. And then what it's going to do is drive a lot of people to watch this on Fox Nation. It's going to be a great help to what we're doing over there on TV today. I know, but we're doing our part. We're like working like animals to produce all this content and the people in charge of it, whoever that guy's, whatever his name is, like they're ignoring the fact that the site doesn't work. And it, it's, I think it's like a betrayal of our efforts. That's how I feel. So I, of course I resent it. 
Tell you what, we've always suspected that Fox Nation was a disaster, but it's really heartening to hear Tucker Carlson have admitted it himself when he thought that no one else was listening. Because per usual, if you want the truth from a conservative media figure, you gotta wait until they're actually off the air. And by the way, the fact that Fox Nation, Fox's digital-only subscription service, is a disaster is no surprise. The average age of Fox's audience is roughly 120 years old, and considering their entire business model is scaring the shit out of old people, they haven't exactly positioned themselves well to be able to appeal to the younger audience who might be able to, oh, I don't know, actually use a streaming service, for starters. And obviously the second point worth mentioning here is that this was all surrounding an interview with Andrew Tate, who's the dude whose entire shtick is telling everyone how much of an alpha he is, which, as we all know, is the number one rule of being an alpha, the fact that you have to tell everyone. Tate is currently under house arrest in Romania on allegations of rape, human trafficking, and forming an organized crime group. That's the guy who Tucker was elevating here by virtue of offering up an interview. I mean, my god. At this point, it's like sexual assault is a prerequisite to have any profile on the right these days. And so when Tucker and the person on the phone, who I presume is some representative of Andrew Tate, are clashing over wardrobe, just remember that Tucker is doing his level best here to push for more formal attire because his goal here is to legitimize someone like Andrew Tate, who, again, is being investigated for rape and human trafficking. Because, yeah, wouldn't want to do anything that could hurt that guy's legitimacy. God forbid the accused rapist isn't set up for success by Tucker and Fox. Now this footage was released by Media Matters, but it would stand to reason that the actual recording happened on set and was kept within Fox's grasp. So in terms of why it got out, consider that Rolling Stone reported that Fox News executives have compiled an oppo file of supposed dirt on Tucker Carlson, which includes internal complaints regarding workplace conduct, disparaging comments he made about management and colleagues, and allegations that he created a toxic work environment. So it's possible that this clip here was just a small sampling of what Fox has on Tucker, although, on the flip side, I don't exactly see how it would benefit Fox to release a clip where Tucker basically admits how shitty Fox's own streaming product is. All of which is to say, neither Fox nor Tucker come out of this one as winners. But what is likely is that Tucker spoke plenty freely on set, and that what he said over the years would really come back to hurt him. Which is likely why he recorded Motion this thing after his firing from Fox, which conspicuously fails to actually mention... Fox. One of the first things you realize when you step outside the noise for a few days is how many genuinely nice people there are in this country. Kind and decent people. People who really care about what's true. And a bunch of hilarious people also. A lot of those. It's got to be the majority of the population, even now. So that's heartening. The other thing you notice when you take a little time off is how unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on television are. They're completely irrelevant. They mean nothing. In five years, we won't even remember that we had them. Trust me, as someone who's participated. And yet, at the same time, and this is the amazing thing, the undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them, and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. Suddenly, the United States looks very much like a one-party state. That's a depressing realization, but it's not permanent. Our current orthodoxies won't last. They're brain dead. Nobody actually believes them. Hardly anyone's life is improved by them. 
This moment is too inherently ridiculous to continue, and so it won't. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink, and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon. Weird how free speech Tucker Carlson gets unceremoniously fired by Fox, and yet he fails to utter even a single word about that network in his own response to being fired. It's almost like he's afraid of what they've got on him. And it's almost like that all this chest beating over the years was nothing but an act from a guy who's not so much concerned about free speech as he is protecting his own ass. So what's clear here is that we've probably not seen the end of what will likely be a protracted and bruising battle between Tucker Carlson and Fox News. All the while, Fox continues to shed viewers, having lost more than a million eyeballs alone in just the past week during Tucker's primetime slot. And for Tucker's part, he'll likely never even come close to being able to reach the sheer number of people that he reached before. Any way you cut it, both Fox and Tucker are the losers in this situation, and the winners, those who value truth and decency and democracy, well, that would be the rest of the country. Now, for no reason at all, please enjoy this clip of Jon Stewart embarrassing the hell out of Tucker Carlson, inciting his first of what would be a sweep of firings from major media outlets. Special effort to come on the show today because I have mentioned uh, this show as being uh, uh, bad. <laughs> it's not so much that it's bad as it's hurting America. <laughs> so I, I wanted to but come here today let me, and say, wait, wait, no, I just, no, let me where, here, here's just one, what I wanted to tell you guys. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> stop, 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 stop hurting America. I watch your show every day, and it kills me. I can tell you a lot. It's it. so, oh, it's so painful to watch. Your partisan, um, what do you call it, hacks. Wait, John, wait. Like, let me, let me, you have a responsibility to the public discourse. And you, you fail miserably. I think you're a good comedian. I think your lectures are boring. You you're on CNN. Say? My, the show that leads into me is puppets making crank phone calls. <laughs> what is wrong with you? It's someone who watches your show and cannot take it anymore. I just can't you fail miserably. I think you need to go to one. Now this is theater. I mean, it's it's it obvious. Is, no, no, it is. How old are you? Thirty-five. And you wear a bow tie. Yeah, I do. I do. So, I hate so, so at all. I, I, mean, I do think you're more fun on your show. Uh, that's my opinion. But okay, okay. Just, Zach, yeah. John Stewart goes, one of the interesting fans. You're as big a dick on your show as you are on any show. Yeah. Yes, he was on all three networks. Fox. CNN. ABC, NBC. Wow. He has made the rounds. It is awesome. Why? And he was paid a lot of money. Let's, what, let's hear what Bo from the 5th has to say about it. Howdy there, Internet people. It's Bo again. So today we're going to talk about Tucker Carlson and what we can learn from it. What has happened and what we can learn from from the chain of events. Uh, if you have missed it, reporting suggests that Tucker Carlson is no longer at Fox. 
think the implications of that are pretty clear. I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time going over that. But there is uh, something that can be learned. It wasn't too long ago when a video would go out about any attempt to hold Fox accountable. Um, a really common comment underneath in the comment section was, and then nothing happened. And you can, you can kind of be forgiven for having that opinion. Um, the wealthier people in this country, they, they, the track record of them avoiding accountability, it's, it's pretty big. Okay? But that comment, and then nothing happened. And then as time went on, once suits got filed and stuff like that, it became, Fox is going to win. And then it became, Fox doesn't care. And then it became, Fox has unlimited amount of money. And then even when it got to the point of them settling for $787 million, even factoring in any potential tax break, they're out half a billion dollars. The common comment was it doesn't matter. That there wouldn't be changes. Okay. Um, I feel like there have been, because I would like to point out that Dan is also out over there. I, I don't know that that one is related, though. But there are definitely changes happening at Fox. Do we know that they're linked to the suits? No, we don't. And in fact, even if they were, Fox is probably going to do everything within their power to make sure that that never comes to light. But, the changes are happening. I don't think that any people would have uh, given much support to the hope that Tucker would become the fallen one would fall from grace over at Fox. He seemed untouchable. And a whole lot of liberal and some left-leaning outlets really leaned into that. We often talk about right-wing outlets and how their coverage is fear, 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 fear. Sphere-mongering constantly trying to terrify people to get them on their side. It's a good business model for them. For those who want change, if you were trying to appeal to them, a good business model is despair, 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 despair. Because the people who want change, they want coverage of it, and they want somebody sympathetic to them. And despair is a whole lot easier to sell than the alternative. See, if you convince people to just give up, that's an easy sell. Because then they don't have to do anything. They don't have to get involved. They don't have to get involved. You have absolved them of that. Nothing's going to matter. And then nothing changed. It's a good business model, but it's not good for any long-term movement. It's actually a type of propaganda that 
militaries put out during wartime to their opposition, you can't win. Normally, this occurs in liberal media. It does happen sometimes in left media, if, if we're going to draw that distinction. Um, generally, in the left, it is more... It, it comes mostly from people who are heavily focused on climate change. That I get. That, that I actually understand, because we're not stopping it. We're mitigating it. Um, and there are people who say that even that can't be done. I get it. I get what's being said. But when it comes to that kind of despair-mongering, just remember, whether you think you can or you think you can't, if you're talking about the majority of people in this country, if the majority of people think that nothing can be done, they're right. And if the majority of people think that something can be done, they're right. Putting out the kind of content that says we can't win, it is literally self-defeating. As much as we caution people about falling into fear-mongering right-wing echo chambers, do not fall into despair. Hope is what keeps people engaged. Hope is what keeps people motivated. It's what keeps them in the fight. It is what causes change. If the companies who are seeking to hold Fox accountable, if they had listened to the commentators and pundits who as recently as yesterday were saying there's no way they could win. Even after they got a $787 million settlement, they might never have filed. If they believed that, they might never have even tried. There are a whole lot of people who, uh, who have fallen victim to this, and you see it in a bunch of different ways. When you hear people talk about gerrymandering, yeah, well, it doesn't do me any good to vote. I live in a solidly red state. In some cases, that may actually be true, but in most cases, gerrymandered districts, it's only a couple of points. You just have to create, create unlikely voters. You have to increase voter turnout, and you can overcome that gerrymandering in a whole lot of districts. Yes, there are some that that can't be done in. But the overall point here, the overall lesson is that Dominion, a pretty tiny company, has dealt a major blow to Fox, and it appears, because again, we don't have confirmation as to why Fox is out, and my guess is it will, when the statements come out, it will be anything other than something to do with the election. Because that's, that's more press that Fox just does not need. And it would benefit Tucker, so they would probably both agree just not to mention that part. Um, there are changes at Fox. And this is a big one. It's a big one. Um, now again, 
What kind of changes? We don't know yet. I mean, they could replace Fox, or Fox could replace Tucker with somebody even worse um, as far as rhetoric. Maybe. Don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But change is coming. It's the one thing you can't stop. And if you are somebody who wants that change, don't lose hope that it can happen. Because it can. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day. Yep. We all gotta... We all gotta believe in change. We all gotta do it. Even though... These old Republicans are doing their best to... Take it away from us. As long as we... Band together, stick together, we'll be okay. Alright, moving on. In North Carolina... They're trying to take away voting rights. Check it out. Major rulings out of the North Carolina Supreme Court today, all dealing with voting rights. Two of them reserved decisions made just months ago when the court had a different political composition. One ruling means 56,000 felons just lost the right to vote until all aspects of their sentences are complete. A second ruling means you will need an acceptable photo ID the next time that you vote. And the Republican majority now says that the courts can't overturn voting maps for being drawn to favor one party or another. WRL's Capitol Bureau Chief Laura Leslie explains exactly how that decision will impact you and your representation in Washington. The ruling comes as state lawmakers are preparing to draw the next round of voting maps. It means that state lawmakers basically have a blank check when it comes to drawing districts for their own political gain. In two rulings last year, the state Supreme Court ruled that the practice of drawing voting districts to elect one party or the other violated the state constitution because it allowed lawmakers to prevent voters from voting them out. The court at the time was controlled by Democrats, four to three. But last fall, Republicans picked up two seats and won control of the high court, five to two. The new Republican court took the unusual step of agreeing to reconsider the earlier rulings and now overturned them completely, saying the former court was wrong. Chief Justice Paul Newby wrote in a majority opinion that the courts have no power under the Constitution to interfere with partisan gerrymandering. Today, we begin to correct course, he wrote, returning the judiciary to its designated lane. Democratic Justice Anita Earls, writing in dissent, said letting lawmakers predetermine the outcome of elections undermines the whole idea of democracy. In a single blow, she wrote, the majority strips millions of voters of this state of their fundamental constitutional rights. Realistically, this gives them freedom to be able to push the envelope as far as they can. Catawba College political scientist Michael Bitzer said the U.S. Supreme Court has also refused to block gerrymandering. So there's essentially no check or balance on it now, especially at the congressional level. He says lawmakers will soon draw new maps, likely to unseat several Democrats, giving the GOP a larger majority in Congress. We are going to see a swing from the 7-7 current delegation to a supermajority Republican delegation, as well as likely see supermajority numbers for both the state House and the state Senate. You might remember that this case went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court last December. They haven't ruled on it yet, and Bitzer doesn't think they will since today's state Supreme Court ruling resolved that issue. Laura Leslie, WRAL News, Raleigh.
as I always say, people in power will not give up power willingly. They will not. So, in North Carolina, they're going to gerrymander and take seats. So, I implore everyone in North Carolina, whoever listens to this, please go out and vote. Even if they fuck up the map, go vote. Republicans, this is not fair. But, again, people in power won't give up power when we hopefully the young Republicans or the young college students will understand. Alright, talking about voting, check out this uh, story in Michigan. A little election with big stakes happening tomorrow in Adams Township, Michigan. That's a conservative town where former President Trump won by over 80% in 2020. Tomorrow's vote is a recall election for the township's clerk, but it's also a test of the strength of Trump's election lies. NBC's Gary Grumbach traveled to the town and has more. In a town without traffic lights, with flags of all stripes, is where we met up with four women, best friends, who are fed up. I just don't think anybody trusts trusts our township anymore. If people don't speak up and stop it, I, I don't know. Janice, Gail, Beverly, and Bonnie say election denialism has divided their community. This is the kind of government that happened in Nazi Germany. I don't understand why I'm worried about the 2020 election. Trump won here. Can anybody like realize that? We're not going to listen. If there was crime, if there was a crime, and there was, you're a hypocrite. With Township Clerk Stephanie Scott at the center of the storm. This machine is suspect. We're trying to. Scott, who has peddled in conspiracy theories related to recent elections, is under criminal investigation by the state of Michigan after the state says she failed to have election equipment properly maintained and refused to hand over to the State Bureau of Investigations a piece of a voting machine. As a result, the state took away her ability to run elections in 2021. She spoke to NBC News in her first television interview, where she denied she did anything wrong. We have a Secretary of State that started a witch hunt against me, because I started asking questions about the elections. Those questions, she says, revolve around voter rolls in Michigan. All I was doing was trying to take on this clerk position, run fair elections, make sure the, accurate was, the data was accurate, and um, I was doing my job. A review of Scott's Facebook page also revealed repeated references to QAnon, an outlandish conspiracy theory popular among the far right. When did you first hear of QAnon? It has nothing to do with anything on this election. It has absolutely nothing to do with this position. The four women, lifelong conservatives themselves, don't buy Scott's claims of election fraud. So they went home to home, collecting hundreds of signatures to prompt a recall election. If you don't like something, either shut up or do something about it. And these ladies did something about it selecting neighbor and friend Susie Roberts to run against Scott. I've known Susie since she was born, and uh, she's a go-getter. She's very uh, trustworthy. So why have you decided to run in this recall election? Because someone had to. Someone had to do it. What does a Susie Roberts-run township clerkship look like? The most boring township meetings ever. There'll be no drama. Adams Township is just one example of a town turned upside down by election denialism and conspiracy theories. Just 19% of Republicans who voted for former President Trump in 2020 believe the election was legitimate. And those beliefs are taking center stage in the state, 
with the Michigan GOP recently selecting far-right election denier and conspiracy theorist Christina Caramo to run the state party's apparatus. There's a bit of a state of chaos, I'd say, right now when it comes to the Republican Party uh, in Michigan. It's unclear exactly which direction it's going to head going forward. If you're going to lie, you have to be confronted about it, in my opinion. I mean, it's just wrong. And somehow this nation's going to turn that around, figure out how we make it wrong again instead of letting them spew their grievances. The women have a warning for others. If it can happen in our little township, Adams Township, it can happen in your township, anybody's township. NBC News reporter Gary Grumbach joins me now live. What a great report, Gary. And you captured not just what's happening in that town, but I think all across the country, which is part of what makes it so fascinating. You can feel the emotion in those meetings. Um, it, this is a township that went 80% for former President Trump in 2020. Why are you seeing this groundswell of people now rejecting election denialism? And did you get a sense of which way this might go? So they're just tired of it. You heard it in the piece. They're yeah. tired of it. They've lived there their entire lives. Uh, they're between 70 and 93 years old, the four women I talked to. And the woman, Stephanie Scott, who's the current clerk, moved there three years ago into town. Mm. And so she's sort of an outsider. These folks don't trust her. They want to be back to the way it was. In terms of how we think it may go tomorrow, this is a very small town. It was the talk of the town. It into the breakfast place everyone was talking about the election happening tomorrow and their turnout was sky high mm -hmm. in 2020 we do expect turnout to be very high again they got more than 300 recall petition signatures on their recall petition wow and again you can just feel how fired up everyone is in that town in in terms of the implications more broadly if stephanie scott is actually charged she would be the second elected clerk nationally to face some type of criminal investigation um, for being a part of this election denialism. What would the broader implications be, do you think? Well, I think it shows that if the Secretary of State sends you four or five letters saying, hey, please do this, you really need to do this if you're the township clerk in charge of maintaining the election uh, the election material. It also says you probably can't tamper with the election material if the Secretary of State says you can't do that. And so I think there's a lot about just following the law, following the rules, just like the women said there, what happens here in Adams Township, Michigan, could happen anywhere. And just very quickly, it was a little contentious, this interview you did. It was. See, Stephanie Lambert is the name of the lawyer for Stephanie Scott. She is somebody who has gotten really into Michigan politics and election denialism post-2020. Even before 2020, she was just a regular defense attorney in Detroit. Now she's really turned into somebody who has has really turned into these election conspiracies and, and, and somebody who has a lawyer herself because she's involved in a number of lawsuits related to the 2020 election. All right. Well, such great stuff. Such great report. Thank you for bringing it to us. We really appreciate it, Gary. Down the rabbit hole. Now, she's not doing her job, and she might get arrested. But, hey, you can do whatever you want as long as you can handle the consequences. And the Republicans are blocking gun control. Yes, they are doing everything in their power not to help the American people. You wonder why. Check it out. Topic that could be the top national story on most nights by many metrics. America's gun epidemic and the ongoing threat and reality of a highly armed nation with easy access to some of the most dangerous guns in the world 
and a gun-related death toll that exceeds every other country per capita in the world, that can look like this. seen at a recent Little League baseball game in South Carolina. You can imagine or feel how all of the kids and parents felt. And that is the kind of story that may not even make what we call national news that you may not have heard about. It occurred because teenagers were firing in a nearby parking lot. And we live in a country where gunfire is routine, where deadly shootings are quite normal, and even mass shootings actually occur daily on average in america take these first four months of 2023 that we just concluded there have been 121 days in that time period through the end of april and in that time there have been more than 121 mass shootings a total of 184 mass shootings defined as four or more people shot in one single incident meanwhile down in texas a state with extremely lax gun laws there was this scare at a basketball game footage there was no active shooter no shots were actually fired during an incident uh, that was still of course very scary to everyone there and we're just showing you some of that initial reaction police found that there wasn't an active shooter but the instant reaction of an overarmed and traumatized populace is quite clear which is a point we wanted to make here without having to show you uh, another video of a victim or someone actually shot but you can see how quickly everyone goes into active shooter mode because people understand quite intuitively that more guns has not made the United States safer than less armed countries. And in many ways, it has not made people any less afraid, as those scenes from Little League to basketball to any mini-mart in America can show you where people immediately go into this mode. The scenes illustrate, even without any bullets striking any person, how many people do live now with the pervasive fear of what it means to reside in a nation like this. And while there's no shooting or mass shooting that's easily absorbed by any community, each have their own tragedy, incidents involving children are especially harrowing and increasingly common. So tonight, as we report on this topic for you, there's an active manhunt in Texas for someone who killed five people including a nine-year-old boy the suspected shooter used the military style weapon that most democracies do not allow anyone to buy in the very first place the individual allegedly going on a rampage with an ar-15 style rifle this was after neighbors asked him to stop 
firing random shots in his yard so that their baby could sleep. Texas Tribune reports that in a new account. This is quite certainly and quite obviously how we live in America now. But is it how we choose to live? No. And I want to walk you through that before I bring in our experts on a story that is important, that as I tell you, could be our top story just about any night of the year. I say no because not if by choose we mean the chosen preferences of the majority or even the majority of votes in Congress where majorities have repeatedly supported at least some gun safety measures only to see a largely Republican minority block them in the Senate. That was the outcome after one of the deadliest school shootings ever back in Newtown. It's the choice people make when asked. People choose stronger safety laws. Nine out of ten people now want stronger universal background checks. Eight out of ten want to raise the age for buying a gun to 21. A supermajority backs extending the waiting period to at least a month. That's something that reduces the risk that people go out and buy new guns for anger or vengeance, which is not usually correlated with lawful conduct. And what you're looking at there, by the way, if you're curious, all those numbers, that's from a Fox News poll. I'm not telling you how to make up your mind. I'm not telling you what's a good or bad idea. I'm just reminding you how overwhelmingly there is a consensus about at least some safety measures here. Indeed, you follow the news, so you probably know there's a lot of issues that you won't find that kind of consensus on. Now, that is not the entire story. There have also been calls and rising support, even in places that have been habitually more conservative and pro-gun. The clash over what became democracy and how to expel people out of a state legislature that we all zoomed in on in Tennessee, that began with calls and protests for gun safety after a horrific shooting. The 2022 elections brought change at the state level. Michigan's new leadership has now passed universal background checks and mandatory safe storage laws to protect children. In that state, Colorado, passing several gun safety measures. Washington State just moved ahead recently with this assault weapons ban, including the kind of AR-15 that is sadly in the news today and that other story I mentioned to you. So part of the story as well is reform at the state level. But that's not all. I'm always going to tell you as much as we can the whole picture. There's also polarization because other conservative states like Florida are going further this year and loosening gun laws to allow more concealed weapons. We are living in a uniquely American problem of our own policies here with these, as I showed you, more mass shootings than there are days of the year. Shootings that end lives, that end children's lives before they've hardly begun, that shootings that terrorize communities, and that make something truly horrific and sometimes objectively avoidable becomes something habitual for us. Something that you might say, oh, the news anchor's talking about the shootings. I know about that. I've accepted that that's part of life. Or maybe I don't think that'll ever change. Almost like you want to turn it off. And, and you could turn off the discussion about it. But we're a long ways from turning off the underlying problem. This is America. This is how we live now. The data and the facts from so many other democracies, Canada to England, and a lot in between show this is not how we have to live. Few other nations have chosen this set of trade-offs when it comes to life and death and the safety of our children. And the last thing I'll say before I bring in our experts on what I hope you stay with me for is an important discussion tonight. A little reminder that 
objectively, numerically, most Americans no longer choose to live this way. If you ask them in a poll, as we showed you, or if we had a national legislature that actually wrote the majority's choices into law. Yep. They are... They are choosing money, money over, over children. That's what they're doing, money over children. And uh, they're going after forwarding rights, not strengthening gun laws, and they're going after poor people. Yeah. They're going after poor people. Check it out. Kevin McCarthy is going to take a bill to the floor today uh, to vote on uh, what people have considered one of the most draconian budgets ever produced because uh, ostensibly they need to cut the deficit and um, but they can't touch Social Security and Medicare and they um, don't want to touch the military and so it has to come all out of the discretionary budget, the way that sort of our agencies operate and things like food stamps and whatnot. Here is a Florida representative, Kat Kamek, um, expressing support for uh, work requirements. That is one of the key measures they want to impose because, you know, um, first off, just, just think about this for a second. A, Part of the reason why you might need food stamps or support from the government is because you can't find a job. But even if it's, uh, you know, there is a small population out there of people who like, I, I just don't want to work. I just, I just am loving getting this, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month in food stamps and I, 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 I'm living large uh, and don't want to work. Um, what kind of country is it that where you're working and you still need food stamps? It just reminds me of the time we had, I think it was back in the old office, 10 years ago probably now, we had a guest, I think he was from Sweden, who was a fan of the show and wanted to visit the studio and he came in and we said, oh, we're just doing this, uh, we're going to do this piece on the working poor and he's like, I don't know what that is. We don't have that in our country. And it was like talking to someone from the future who was like in a, who was like a floating orb, essentially. Uh, but here is um, Kat Kamek, a Republican from Florida, very excited at the process of disciplining all those people who are living large on food stamps. And then you'll find out when I get on the House floor. So that, it's a non-answer. But so the work requirements, I mean, we have 40 million Americans who are able-bodied with no dependents that are of working age that aren't working. Mm -hmm. So if you are going to be accepting benefits like SNAP and others, I think, or Medicaid, you know, I think it's important that you are actively seeking a job, that you are in the workforce. And so this is something that people across the country have asked for and we've delivered. And like I said, there's... Bosses. Yeah. Yeah. Who's asking for that? And what is it? Is, it, is work requirements also mean seeking a job? Yeah. Because that I mean, seems to be a They, they sort of fudge around a little yeah. bit around this. Well, that's it, right? Like, it's like you need to 
you know, go show up to a hall monitor saying, I, I sent in this mm-hmm. many resumes, I promise I'm trying to serve one of my local capitalists and I just can't get a job. Look, the, the bottom line is, this is, what they try and do is, is put up as many roadblocks, and particularly coming from Florida, they know this well. Uh, because in Florida, they do this with unemployment insurance. Um, they put up as many roadblocks as they can to uh, getting the uh, help that people need even when they're totally qualified but the way that they will uh where they will try and diminish the amount of money spent on this is by putting up so many roadblocks that people just give up essentially because it's too difficult to pursue um here is matt gates now arguing that despite the fact that this is that draconian um there are republicans who just do not want to vote for this and um not because it's a mean bill or anything like this it's because it's not mean enough to people and remember this is not going to pass in the senate so it really just becomes an expression of values Caucus is 222. You know the math. He can lose. He, Speaker McCarthy, can lose four. Right now, how many holdouts are there, yourself included? Twice that. So I do not expect that there will be a vote as planned tomorrow on the McCarthy debt limit increase. I think there are still a few details we have to work out on work requirements, on some of the Green New Deal tax credits that uh, we would like to see repealed. And there's uh, some disagreement in our conference about that. And if we're able to get that done, uh, I don't think it'll be tomorrow. I think that there's still some time for the cement to dry. So if it may very well be that what we send out of the House of 218 votes is the only thing we can get 218 votes for. Uh, Mr. Schumer and uh, President Biden should take note of that. Okay, so... They have no leverage here. Well, not only do they have no leverage, they also... um, The the problem that he's he's getting into is when he starts talking about some of this stuff, the frontline Republicans, uh, the ones who won in places like California and New York, Mm -hmm. they start freaking out. Because um, they don't want to have to go down in flames in their election to vote for a bill that's not even going to pass. Yeah. So far it seems like they're holding firm to to an extent, but at the same time, Gates has no political penalty for this. He's in the he's in maybe the most conservative district in the country. It doesn't really matter what he votes for. And they may pass this, but as Sam says, like the Senate isn't going to. So it, it like then the question for the frontline Republicans in blue states becomes, oh, are you gonna shut down the government? crash the economy and allow the United States to default on its debt over work requirements for SNAP? That's when it becomes a political issue for them. And that's why they have no leverage. They can hem and haw and, and puff their chest out now, but it, it, the, the, there's no way that they're going to be able to get like exactly what they want on this front. Uh, and I, I saw that there was another Republican crying over the national debt at the podium oh yeah, today. Let's see if I, can get, like, I know, what? I sent it in Slack. Yeah. But it's just, these people are psychos. I mean, they really are. They truly are. They, I mean, and, and like... They want SNAP and, and government programs. Like, we, we talked about this within the context of free school lunches. Um, they don't want there to be... They don't want anything that the government pr- to, that provides to people to be easy. They want it to be as cumbersome as possible. Public schools to not have, you know, cushy uh, 
food for kids, um, SNAP benefits. You have to go check in with the hall monitor. That's really frustrating for people because they want to undercut government more broadly. Yeah, they don't want you fed unless it's by a capitalist. Yes, they don't like poor people. They're not going after Medicaid and Medicare, but they're going to go after veterans and poor people. So, all you veteran groups, go out and vote. Uh, you poor people, yes, poor Caucasian people who are on food stamps, vote them out. They do not represent what you, what you are, what you need. Pause. You're going to keep people in power who don't have your best interests at heart. I don't understand that. I really don't. And then you have Tommy Tupperville. Tommy Tupperville is holding up promotions in the army to be petty. Alright, check this out. Well, howdy there, Internet people. Let's bow again. So today, we are going to talk about Senator Tuberville and promotions in the military being delayed and readiness. And what this little misadventure can tell us about things that are likely to come up in 2024 and the Republican Party as a whole. Okay, so if you have no idea what's going on, Senator Tuberville is holding up the confirmation of promotions, holding up promotions for high-ranking people in the military. Um, Higher-end promotions require the Senate. All right? uh, and he is holding up 184 of them, I think, at the moment. And he has indicated that he will continue to hold them up until the Department of Defense does what the American people don't want them to do, and they do what he says. Uh, so, what he wants is for the military to not give leave for family planning. Right now, if you are sent to a red state and you have to leave that state to go obtain family planning, DOD is going to help you out. He wants that to stop. Um, and he is holding up these promotions of people that have absolutely nothing to do with that policy um, to try to get it. The thing is, even Republicans are uncomfortable with it. Susan Collins said that, you know, normally if you're going to hold up confirmations, it's for political appointees, not for apolitical professionals. Susan Collins is absolutely right. Not a sentence I ever thought I'd say, to be honest. Um, there are rumors that McConnell, is his patience is wearing thin and that he may step in soon. DOD shows zero, zero willingness to change its policy. That seems really unlikely, because if they do, they're going to lose recruits. If they change this policy, they are going to lose recruits. People will not join the military because of it.
Um, all of this would impact readiness, which as we have talked about before on the channel, is a huge thing in the military. The thing is, the 184 promotions that he is holding up, it doesn't just stop them from getting a star on their shoulder. It doesn't just stop their pay raise. In some cases, it stops them from going to their next posting, which is already impacting readiness in a huge way. My understanding is that one of the people affected by this is the soon-to-be or incoming uh, commander of Cyber Command, an entire command. Um, that's troublesome. And it's also Senator Tuberville can rule instead of represent. Let's be clear on the numbers here. When it comes to abortion, 64% of Americans believe it should be legal in all or most cases. Only 34% believe it should be illegal in all or most cases. It's not even close. We were making fun of MAGA being 20 points underwater. This is 30. It isn't even close. This isn't a desire to represent. It's not a desire to enact the will of the American people. It is a desire to rule them. And here's the important part. This is the entire Republican Party. There's no real pressure on him to stop. I mean, when the pressure that is coming is coming from Susan Collins, I mean, you know how effective that is. I'm sure he'll learn his lesson. Um, even if Republicans don't publicly endorse it, maybe even privately disagree with it, they're not stopping it. This is the entire Republican Party. The Republican Party is the dog who caught the car. They got Roe overturned and now they have no idea what to do. When it comes to 2024, this issue is going to uh, weigh pretty heavily. And the Republican Party has no way to stake out a, a position that is tenable. Because you can't appeal to the extremist base that they have created by a half measure. And any kind of measure is going to upset 64%. I have no idea what they're going to do. Um, they may just attempt to continue to double down and hope that a Supreme Court that's legitimacy is coming more and more into question is just going to continue to back them. I would expect this to be one of the top three issues in the 2024 election. The Republican Party will do everything they can to try to downplay it, but they can't. They can't just ignore it. They have to say something because they have to appease the extremist base that they have developed over the years. Uh, in the meantime, at a time when the Republican Party is talking about how weak the U.S. military is, the Republican Party is intentionally weakening it further, I guess, from their perspective, they're damaging readiness on purpose because they don't want people to get leave. Anyway, 
it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day. Yep, they are hurting the military, hurting poor people, and they're not doing their jobs. And they will continue to do it. All right, for our main story, we're going to talk about DeSantis. Ron DeSantis, yes. He is fighting Disney. He just did a, a world tour in Europe, I guess, to see how he, how he would fare as a, a candidate. But... I don't think it went well, but our first story is McCarthy weighed in on what he's doing. Check it out. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy telling Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to find a way to end his battle with Disney and that his threats against the company don't fly. I don't think the idea of building a prison next to a place that you bring your family is the best <laughs> idea. I think it would be much better if you sat down and solved the problem. Well, McCarthy's comments coming just one day after Disney sued DeSantis, accusing him of a clear pattern of retaliation after the company spoke out against Florida's ban on teaching young kids about sexual orientation and gender identity, and that DeSantis's actions are violating Disney's right to free speech. Out front now, Scott Jennings, who was the former special assistant to President George W. Bush, our legal analyst, Joey Jackson, and of course... Our numbers expert like extraordinary. Like you want me to say what it says? Our numbers win. There we go. Harry Engine. <laughs> All right, Scott. So you just heard Speaker McCarthy. Mm-hmm. This is a man who doesn't come out and say that without having decided he was going to say that. You know, it just didn't come off in a flip, not thought out way. Um, so do you think DeSantis has gone too far here? Well, I think, wait, McCarthy also said he had advice for Disney, which is maybe don't be so political. But uh, so he had advice for both sides. I think part of the DeSantis brand is I'm going to fight wokeism in our culture, wherever it is, especially in these corporations, and I will not be distracted. I think what he's selling is, you know, Trump will occasionally complain about these things, but he gets distracted, and tomorrow he'll forget about it because he's distracted. I'm a dog with a bone, and I will never let it go. I will start fights, and I will finish them, and I think that's what he's communicating here is, you know, I don't care who criticizes me. I will not let this go because it is the core of who I am. Now, good political strategy or not, I don't know yet, but that's the brand he's advertising. So, Joey, Governor DeSantis is uh, overseas right now. So he was in Jerusalem uh, when he commented about the Disney lawsuit, right? His time zones were off, and so he commented today. And here's some of what he said. They're upset because they're actually having to live by the same rules as everybody else. They don't want to have to pay the same taxes as everybody else. I don't think the suit has merit. I think it's political. You know, he's got this confidence because he's got that Harvard Law degree. Um, but, you know, practicing lawyers uh, have may have a different opinion. So does the lawsuit of merit? I think uh, Harvard Law graduates will tell you that it does. I will yep. tell you that people who have not graduated from Harvard uh, <laughs> will tell you also uh, it has a lot of merit. Yeah. And why do I say that? Uh, because this is clearly an attack upon speech. Uh, why do we know that? If you look at the lawsuit itself, it uses his words against him. Go woke, go broke. It speaks about how he called in, convened a special session. In that special session, he was very clear with respect to what he was doing, punishing Disney for their views, for them not being apolitical, and so it crosses the line. And so I think at the end of the day, not only does he lose the lawsuit, but I think he pays attorney fees, etc. And I think there's going to be, there's no question that from a First Amendment perspective, the causal connection between what he wanted to do, punish, and based upon the statements are there, and I think without question, he's in trouble. And Disney makes the points, actually, in their argument, quite poignant. They were saying they're taking a stand that smaller business 
businesses and individuals, I'm quoting them, might not be able to take when the state comes after them for expressing their own views. In America, the government cannot punish you for speaking your mind. So they're both saying it's free speech and that they are doing this because they're big and because they're a juggernaut and to help when others can't. Listen, I think that it's been said, and Scott, I know you saw this, uh, that he was outdone by Mickey Mouse. Uh, I think that that is going to be really the lesson to be to be taught here. I think from a perspective of having a lawsuit that has merit that's based on the First Amendment, you can't, if you're a corporation, you're allowed to state what your views are. You're allowed to give the indication that this what you're true. doing, governor, are wrong. And so the legislature convenes to punish you for that? Can't do it. This is America last night. other side of that, though, is this is a more muscular brand of republicanism. And this is what a lot of Republicans want is for... When Republicans have the levers of power to be unafraid to use it to go after the people that they think are harming American culture, I don't, I don't know where this is headed, but this is the beginnings of more muscular republicanism that may not be well, different, certainly a different, different, not traditional conservatism, but republicanism. I get the distinction. Yeah. So, Harry, to this point, because I think what what you just hit on here, Scott, is right at the heart of what you're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, so, McCarthy's not alone. Yeah. You know, when you say you're going to put a prison next to Disney. A lot of people got upset, and that was enough for a lot of people, a lot of mainstream conservative Republicans, to speak out and take a stand. And here they are. Yeah. I mean, it's not good for, the, for Governor DeSantis. I don't think it's good for the Republican Party. This does not help uh, the team, and, and I just want the team to be able to win it. I think he's getting it wrong on Disney. If I don't agree how Disney has handled things, but you don't use the heavy hand of government to punish a business. If Disney would like to move their hundreds of thousands of jobs to South Carolina and bring the billions of dollars with them, I'll let them know. I'll be happy to meet them in South Carolina. All right, they're all on the same page. But where are Republican voters? Uh, let me just say, I always prefer Disneyland to Disney World. But uh, <laughs> when it comes to this particular <laughs> issue on Disney, you know, uh, Ron DeSantis has pushed this fight with Disney. He's pushed, you know, the six-week abortion ban. The majority of Republican voters are with him. But only about two-thirds, or 60 to 66 percent, are with him, right? There's about one-third of the Republican Party who's not with him on Disney and not with him on the six-week abortion ban. So this actually splits the GOP in some sense, right? Mm, so yeah. he has this majority, but there's a significant minority who disagree. But more than that, I think the question is, is this really working in his Republican primary fight against Donald Trump? And what do we see in the polling? You know, Fox News has had polls out the last three months. You go back to February, what did we have? We had Trump ahead but he was only ahead by about 15 points. Now you look that lead, 30 points in March and 32 points in April. So this fights, these fights that he's are pushing, maybe they are popular with the majority of Republican voters, hmm. but in terms of the actual bread that's rising, it's not actually rising the way he wants it. Joey, what's the timing on, on a case that's at this stage? So it, it'll take a while, but let me just say this. There's what's called injunctive relief. What does that mean in English? It means that he's looking for the courts to say that, Governor, you're wrong. The legislation was passed as a result of retaliation. We want things to go back to the status quo. Hmm. I think that you'll see that that'll happen pretty expeditiously. And I think also they're advising that his political and perhaps his legal people to get out of this from a settlement perspective. But oftentimes, you know, Aaron, it takes months and months and months, sometimes years, right. right, for a lawsuit to see its way through. I think this will be more rapid than that. And what I wonder, right, not my lane, yours and yours, but the reality is from a political perspective, I think yeah. he's going to take a loss after loss after loss. Yeah, I mean, because it's staying there. It's not like it goes away. It's not like you can just quietly stop talking about it. Yeah, by the way, I don't... As you say, he doesn't want to. He's got I don't think... Phone. I don't think taking up for Disney if I'm Haley or Asa. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't see it. All right, so. <laughs>
Yes, DeSantis is taking on Disney. Why? I have no idea. Let's go to the next clip of him taking on Disney and to see what he is up against. Take us through your charts this morning. Sure. Well, I think Steve Kornacki would be jealous of my charts, although I can't draw on them. They're a lot bigger than his anyway. It's so true. Let, Steve or Steve. Let's start with uh, how important Disney is. You guys talked a little bit about it at the top of the show. Let me put some numbers behind that for you. So Disney is actually the third largest private employer in the state of Florida, although the largest at a single site, which it has, of course, in Orlando. And you can see that it has here about 75,000 employees at its parks in the Orlando area and is said to be responsible for as many as 450,000 jobs in total in the area. But also, besides the fact that it is such a big employer, it also actually pays relatively well. Disney's minimum pay is $18 an hour, Walmart $14, Publix $11. So these are good jobs, reasonably good jobs. They're not obviously uh, you know, millionaires, but these are reasonably good jobs for all those people in the state of Florida. And so you wonder why DeSantis would bite the hand that is in effect feeding him. It's also feeding him in terms of tourism. Disney in, in 2022, had, I mean, Florida had almost 140 million visitors of which 50,000 roughly, we believe, went to Disney World. And so it is a huge, huge part of Florida tourism. And then lastly, Disney pays, not surprisingly, a huge amount of taxes. They pay $1.1 billion directly to the state of Florida and to local communities in taxes. And again, by outside estimates, uh, an Oxford uh, analytics study, the, the total tax revenues to state and local uh, governments in Florida from Disney-related activities, $4.7 billion. So Disney is a huge economic force in Florida. And again, you wonder why DeSantis would take on his biggest economic engine. Yeah, it's insanity. And those people are Republicans and they're Democrats and they may like him or not like him. But Disney is the biggest driver of the economy in Florida. And Steve, go to your next chart. This entire fight, at least Governor DeSantis says it is anyway, is about this special district that is not apparently uncommon in Florida, but Disney um, has the biggest one. What is that exactly? And why does Governor DeSantis want to take it away? Right. So here's what the fight is all about. So back in 1965, uh, when Disney came to Florida, it said, we don't want it to be like L.A., where we have a park and we don't control anything around it. And we end up with a lot of seedy motels and fast food restaurants. So they made a deal with the state of Florida, which, as you say, is not uncommon, where they, in effect, control this 39 square mile area. This is the city of Orlando. It's going to give you a sense of the size. And this is Disney. Uh, this is Disney. And so they have a board, had a board of five people that took care of all the water, the fire, the, the, the building codes, supervision, and they, and, and they paid for it. And then DeSantis came along when he got mad at them and said, well, we're going to take this away from you and essentially make it another city or county in the state of Florida. Then DeSantis realized he was going to have to pay for all this stuff. And so he backed off that and said, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. But instead, I'm going to appoint this board and I'm going to take over control of this district. So he appointed a board. Then Disney turned around and they put a bunch of agreements in place before the board took effect that, effect, that essentially limited the board's ability to do anything that Disney didn't want them to do. And then the board came along and essentially tried to void those agreements. And that's where the lawsuit came in. And Disney said, enough. 
and they sued them under the First Amendment, basically saying that by, uh, by going after Disney because it had, had said some things about the Don't Say Gay law, that violated their First Amendment and they were entitled to take control about. As you said, Willie, this is not that unusual in Florida. The Villages, which is a big retirement community that politicians regularly stop at, has a special district. The Daytona Speedway has a special district. It's nothing all that extraordinary, and Disney was a great corporate citizen that DeSantis just decided uh, he wanted to take on in a stupid fight. It'd be interesting to know if Governor DeSantis also wants to take away the special district privileges of the villages and the Daytona Super Speedway. I suspect he would not. Okay, let's go to your last chart, Steve. Um, you talked about biting the hand that feeds you. Well, it appears Governor DeSantis is doing it even with his donors because Disney has given to Florida Republicans. Yeah, that's the other really strange thing here. You, you, know, you might think of Disney as a left-leaning kind of company, but in fact, and for obvious, uh, for obvious good reasons from their business standpoint, they have been mostly giving their money to Republicans. And you can see going all the way back to 2002, all this red. This is money that Disney has given to Florida Republicans, both candidates and PACs. And then this blue down here, these small blue bars down here, are money that Disney has given to Democrats. Just a few million dollars to Democrats and many millions of dollars to Republicans, including DeSantis. We don't know exactly how much DeSantis has gotten because a lot of this money went through PACs and things, but obviously a big beneficiary. It's obviously why Disney did it. Florida is controlled by Republicans, has been for 20 years. And here's the other amusing thing, which is in 2022, after this started under Iger's predecessor, Bob Chapek, Disney basically stopped all their political contributions so this is costing them a bit of money on the political side, as well as this terrible reputational thing. But look, as Joe said, I said a couple times in the earlier segment, taking on Bob Iger is not the smartest thing anyone's done. Bob is an incredibly, not just capable executive, but has yeah. great kind of political skills and, uh, and basically attacked, attacked DeSantis as being anti-business and turned the whole thing around and put it on DeSantis, which I thought particularly was a very clever way to handle it. So uh, DeSantis, I think, has taken on more than uh, he can he can bite off. Yeah, no doubt about it. And Bob Iger uh, is such a successful businessman and also such a successful uh, political thinker. He, I, For years, he's had Democrats uh, and, and other people who uh, wanted to run as a Democrat or as an independent for president uh, or, or for governor or for any position, because again, He's he's great at what he does. So yeah, four four different. Steve Ratner, uh, you, Steve. as always, thank you so much. And you know, it, it's so interesting, uh, uh, Caddy, that that you have Steve talking about the reason why Disney back in 1965, when they were setting this up in Florida, wanted to have this special district because they didn't want to have seedy motels, they didn't want fast food restaurants right next to their theme park, uh, and 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 all their other attractions. And what does Ron DeSantis say last week? That he might even put a prison right next to Disney. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a sort of, you know, poke in the eye of Disney that is particularly unnecessary. And, and what's, what's going to happen to the tourists? What does, what does Ron DeSantis think that does to families coming to the Disney theme parks with their kids if what they're driving past is 
some kind of maximum security prison on their way in. I mean, it's not the most inviting route to go and see your princess or Mickey Mouse, right? It's It just seems to make no sense. And understandably, you've now got Nikki Haley, Chris Christie saying, hey, you don't want to have Disney. We're, we're very happy to welcome them and we probably won't put a prison on the front door either. Yeah, because he's picking a fight with the person that gives most of their money to Republicans and the people who employ the state. That's what happens when you overinflate your ego and you think people won't stand up to you. Alright, more on Ron DeSantis. Check it out. Ron DeSantis' trip to the United Kingdom appears to have fallen, well, a little flat. The Florida governor was in England last week capping off his four-country trade mission trip. He met with business chiefs at at a fancy event on Friday, some of whom described the Republican as, quote, horrendous and low wattage. According to Politico, one British business figure said DeSantis looked bored and that his message wasn't presidential. Another person said, quote, nobody in the room was left thinking this man's going places. It felt really a bit like we were watching a state-level politician. DeSantis's international trip was officially promoted as an attempt to build Florida's economic relationships with the UK, Israel, South Korea and Japan. But it's been seen by many in the US as a chance for the governor to present himself as a leader on the world stage. Meanwhile, Governor DeSantis' feud with Disney may be costing him with his own voters. In Celebration, a planned community developed by Disney next to Walt Disney World, some residents say they don't understand the feud and that it's now causing them to rethink their support for the governor. According to the Washington Post, they are concerned about whether they will end up paying a higher cost of living especially after DeSantis threatened to hike utility costs on Disney-aligned properties. Disney, by the way, no longer controls development in celebration, but it is still involved, including operating the utility companies that service the town. The area has about 16,000 residents and has become politically competitive in recent years. The community narrowly broke for DeSantis in 2018, but it backed Donald Trump in 2016 and Joe Biden in 2020 so it is one joe that could go either way i mean between the number of what is it eighty thousand people in florida who work for disney and then all of the knock-on businesses that depend on disney and now these residents of celebration who don't like the idea that their cost of living could go up i'm just i'm struggling at the moment to see the political upside for ron DeSantis in this fight well our florida republicans who support ron DeSantis's war on disney and you add to that the number of Floridians who love Disney, who take their families to Disney, who who get a yearly pass, uh, who live in Central or South or North Florida and go to Disney repeatedly. And we know people around here who, who do that, who just absolutely love it. Uh, I, I, I've got to say, John, though, talking about Ron DeSantis, that comment that he looked bored, we've heard that from... Republican activists, when he goes in to talk to them, we've heard it from contributors who say he's downright rude to them. Uh, we've heard it from people who have served with him in Congress saying that he, he was distant and strange and rude. One, one member of the committee sat next to him for two years and said, Ron DeSantis 
never said a word to him. That's just the more and more we hear, the more and more we find out that's that's just who he is. And, and Peggy Noonan had a great quote in her column uh, this weekend uh, where she talked to a, a Florida, a, a, a Florida a politico who said, Ron DeSantis' biggest problem is not that we don't like him. It's that we know he doesn't like us. And that obviously mm. is the wrong profession to be in if you want to be president and you don't like people. Yeah, you know, the thing about, uh, you know, the, the presidency, Joe, as you know, and campaigning for the presidency is not a job that requires people skills. You can, you can be isolated. You can spend time with no human beings. You don't have to do any retail politics. You don't have to go to Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina and, and project any warmth or connection with human beings. You can be aloof. You can be strange. You can be distant uh, consistently. And, and, you, and that's, there's a, a long history of, of successful presidential candidates who have those personality traits. Let's make that list. Oh, right. There, 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 are, yeah. there is no one on that list who falls yeah. in that category. I, and I, I got to say, if you think about uh, in the recent history of, of, a, of supposed uh, highly touted challengers to a, to a front runner, most recently, you have, you have to go back and think about uh, uh, someone like Barack Obama, who, who when he ran in 2008, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton was the dominant frontrunner. He was kind of the outsider candidate who was coming up, and, and he, he staged over the course of 2006, before his announcement 2007, a sort of pre-candidacy, right, a ghost candidacy in the midterm elections, and, and impressed absolutely everyone across the ideological spectrum, certainly within the Democratic Party, but even a lot of Republicans who watched him uh, on Monday Night Football and uh, on Oprah Winfrey and in religious settings with Rick Warren, you know, immaculately orchestrated pre and raised a ton of money uh, in that that contest for other Democrats, uh, racking up chits across the country so that when he announced in February 2007, he was not the front runner all of a sudden, but he was seen as a credible alternative right out of the gate to Hillary Clinton. Think about the opposite here with Ron DeSantis. Have you ever seen a, a sort of shadow candidacy, a run-up to an announcement that has, been, that has gone worse for an ostensible leading challenger to a front runner uh, in your lifetime? Uh, there, this has just been... Uh, this time from uh, the, the time that DeSantis released his book up through this foreign trip has been an unmitigated disaster for Ron DeSantis' prospects, if he ever had a chance of taking yeah. on Donald Trump, of consolidating the various wings of the Republican Party and being a credible challenger. Boy, he has really blown it, it seems to me, over the course of the last two or three months. Yeah, and he just, he does, he t- he's got the same routine. It's always owning the libs. It's always owning, which of course doesn't work. It's always uh, owning reporters. We, we had a picture of him there, Jonathan Lemire, at the Museum of Tolerance in Jerusalem. And the clip that comes out of that is not something about tolerance. It's him yelling at a reporter. It's, it's like he loves standing behind a podium, yelling at a reporter. He is, in the words of Paul Simon, a one-trick pony. This is what this is what he does. And and and, and Jonathan Lemire uh, contrasts that with Donald Trump, who Trump is inviting everybody. All these members of Congress had said. That, that DeSantis was rude to him. He's inviting them all down to Mar-a-Lago, all the Florida representatives. He, he's, he's going after it. Like when he runs, he's going after it. And you sit back and you just wonder, 
I mean, I keep hearing that Sanders is going to run. Maybe he is, but my God, this has been a terrible run-up. And you never know what's going to happen. You know, everybody was saying McCain, John McCain was out, out of it in 2008 because he had such a terrible start. He obviously came back. The same could happen with Ron DeSantis, but I knew John McCain. John McCain was a friend of mine when he wasn't hating on me. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, loved, I loved Senator McCain, but, you know, he, he, he had a good, good right hook. Um, and Ron DeSantis is no John McCain. I, I just, uh, he's so badly botched the last couple of months. I'm just wondering, do Republicans really think this guy can come back and beat Donald Trump in the primary? It, they're uncertain. Their faith has been shaking. We've seen from Republican donors, those who don't want it to be Trump again. They were really behind DeSantis. There seems to be some waffling. He is still lead, the leader in the pack of the non-Trump candidates, but there's some real doubts. There's speculation that sometime, it'll be sometime later this month, he will in fact jump in, but it's not official just yet. And we keep hearing these stories about him really struggling to connect with donors, with volunteers, with those on the stump, obviously yelling at reporters. And, and, and there's been questions for a while now about his retail political skills and maybe Calvin Coolidge to Holland's point is a guy who won who was like the president who didn't really like talking to anybody silent Cal uh, was his nickname but they are few and far between you contrast that with Trump who in 16 2016 kind of was isolated ran the celebrity route but didn't do much in the way of the retail stuff well as president he found that he loved hosting lawmakers to the White House or to Mar-a-Lago or to Bedminster and he built a lot of these connections with Republican lawmakers who also, of course, were terrified of his Twitter account, so therefore they had reason to be friendly to him. And now this time around, he's doing even more of that. He, in fact, he is doing things like going to diners and talking to voters and hugging January 6th insurrectionists while he's there. But he's certainly wooing the Republican lawmaker class and doing it in the state of Florida most of all as an effort just to obliterate DeSantis right at the beginning. He clearly sees him as his largest threat, at least to this point. It's certainly very early. DeSantis has time to turn around, but it's an uphill climb. And DeSantis is that Trump's lead only seems to be growing. He's not a people person. And he's going to lose handily. He's not going to win the primary. But even if he wins the primary, he's not going to win the general. So, I think if everybody turns out how they're supposed to, Joe Biden will cruise into re-election. All right. Yes. DeSantis' fight with Disney looks petty and small. Panelists here, NBC News Washington correspondent, and Michelle Sindel. NBC News Capitol Hill correspondent, Ryan Nobles. Lonnie Chen, a fellow at the Hoover Institution, and former Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill. Yamish, uh, when we saw the announcement video from Joe Biden, it was not about what he did. It felt like it is about who he's running against again. And it felt very much almost like a, and they even referenced the first video. He really needs Donald Trump to be the nominee. And Donald Trump responded in this Thursday by sort of focusing on him. Are they in a codependent relationship? There is definitely benefits to having both of those men run against each other in both of their minds. I also think Democrats are really coming to the realization that the culture wars that we talk so much about Republicans um, for waging also is something that Democrats should be robustly talking about because their voters are mobilized by that. The first few minutes of that video were January 6th, abortion, and then you got into book banning. 
having talked to voters, Democrats are very worried about their own freedoms um, and really want to wrestle that word back from Republicans. So I think you see Joe Biden in that video making that case mm -hmm. and making sure that people say, okay, you might have done something for the inflation or the bills, but your life is at stake. And I think there's a little bit of, of fear, frankly, that, yeah. that's being leaned into there, which we also saw on, on the Republican side. Ryan, what's interesting to me is on your beat in Congress, you're already seeing members in each party start to focus on the other. Mm -hmm. um, we put up a list here, Debbie Stabenow. Politically, for us, it's helpful if former President Trump is front and center. John Tester, it's probably better for Biden to have Trump as the nominee. Then you look at the Republicans. Dave Carney, a strategist out of New Hampshire. Hey, Biden is an easy target. Wesley Hunt, a congressman from Texas. Two more years of this, I'm more and more confident every day. It yeah. is fascinating that both parties think the other guy is yeah. what keeps them. I, uh, I've covered a number of political campaigns where uh, you set the stage as saying the only person that could beat this candidate is this guy and the only guy that could beat this candidate is the other guy. And it does seem in many ways that, that what, that's what this presidential campaign is shaping up to be. Uh, you know, the polls, you know, the poll that we just conducted this week shows pretty clearly that most Americans don't want to see either of these two guys at the top of the ticket right now. Uh, but we're in a situation where there yeah. aren't clear alternatives. And I think every time you go back to having this conversation of if it's not President Biden, then who is it? And the same thing with President Trump right now, his stranglehold on the Republican base, which I see every single day, particularly in the House of Representatives, is so strong. The idea that there would be some sort of Republican alternative in a serious way right now, you know, just doesn't appear to be that clear. Claire, if Trump weren't there, would there be more Democratic handwriting? Oh, I don't you know. I, I, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> you know, I, would Joe Biden run no matter what? Yes, he would. I mean, inflation's down 40%. He's created more jobs than almost any president in the history of our country. He had got the infrastructure bill through that Donald Trump kept talking about for weeks and weeks on end. So he has accomplishments, and I think he enjoys the job, and I think he would run no matter what. No question. But this is the other thing, Chuck, that people forget. This is never a referendum. Presidential elections, by the time they run around, is always, well, who do you like slightly better than the two you don't like? Yeah. So it is a binary choice. Right. And even if it's not Trump, extremism is on the ballot for the Republican Party this time, whether they like it or not. It's a choice, not a referendum. It's a choice, not a referendum. Every real campaign I've covered, oh, we love to say that. Exactly. And most of the time this century, Claire's right. It's, that, that has been the case. Lonnie, Trump's focus on Biden right now. I don't sense that the Republican primary electorate is that interested in having a primary. Do you? Uh, it doesn't feel that way right now. It, it's funny because we're pretty late in the primary cycle, but it still feels early. Right. People will say that. Oh, it's early. Yeah. I mean, the, so the reality of it is, I think the way this field, the way that this contest is shaping up, it's pretty clear people realize there's going to be one ticket against Trump. Trump will be there at the end of the day. The question is who the other person is going to be. And you see that in the interchanges, for example, between Governor Haley and Governor DeSantis. Uh, you're seeing a lot of people now starting to go after yeah. Ron DeSantis because they perceive, listen, there is an opportunity to be that other voice against Donald Trump when we get to early next year. I guess, but boy, Ron DeSantis, you now have Republicans almost universally now criticizing his handling of the Disney thing. Let me play an array of Republicans critiquing him. I don't think the idea of building a prison next to a place that you bring your family is the best idea. <laughs> I do worry that if this happens too many times, businesses that are thinking about coming to Florida are saying, maybe we don't want to go there. If Disney would like to move their hundreds of thousands of jobs to South Carolina and bring the billions of dollars with them, I'll let them know. I'll be happy to meet them. I don't agree. 
how Disney has handled things, but you don't use the heavy hand of government to punish a business. Ryan, the number two candidate is getting the pylon right now, <laughs> not the front runner. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've talked to some DeSantis advisors about this. and I, it, There is a recognition about how he's being pillared right now uh, by not just Republicans, but Democrats as well. And what they keep saying is just wait for him to get in the race. You know, he's obviously amassing a huge war chest right now, both uh, within a super PAC and he has the ability to raise a lot of money as a candidate himself. Uh, and so they're... You know, their feeling is and until he's actually a candidate, we yeah. really shouldn't be overstating the difficulty yeah. that he's having in this early part of the campaign. Yamish, there was a former Florida governor who had so much money that was going to be a huge factor in 2015. Yeah, that That didn't work out very well. And I and, and when you look at Ron DeSantis, and I've talked to some conservatives about this, they say going to war with Disney, not only does it look petty and look mm -hmm. small, but you're also going after a huge employer of blue-collar people who are going to be your base voters. So Disney starts mm -hmm. telling their employees, hey, this is a problem, and here's the person who's making your life hard. It's going to be hard for Ron DeSantis. Is this over before it begins? Lonnie? I know nobody wants to say that, but boy, it smells rough. I, I think a lot of this does change. I mean, it's not about him getting in the race. The question is, these primary contests are always sort of battles of attrition, infrastructure building, all that stuff that doesn't get covered. That's what matters. And so he's got the money to be able yeah. to compete in a way that I think people people need to pay attention to. I mean, look, the, the last couple yeah. weeks have been uneven. There's no question about it. But that is not what I pay attention to. Claire, Barack Obama was in this position against Hillary Clinton, and they were going, oh, maybe he's not going to get there. Do you see any similarities, or do you think DeSantis is in different spots? No, I think de, uh, you cannot compare DeSantis to people who have been tested on a national stage, yeah. like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. This guy's not ready. He, he declared war, and he doesn't even know what victory is against Mickey Mouse. Give me a break. Mickey Mouse. That is going to be the ballot cry. He went up against Mickey Mouse and lost. And I am an independent. I am an independent, registered independent. But I vote and push for Democrats because they battle for the people majority. Yes, there are corporate Democrats who take the corporate money, but. If you look at their policies, their policies help the majority of the people in America versus the Republicans who have a twisted sense of patriotism. I don't know why, but that's what it is. That's what they do. So, again, DeSantis, I... Let me say it this way. I hope we don't have a re repeat of 2016 where people think it's in the bag and they don't come out. So we got to turn people out. And that's what we need to do. We need to turn people out. So we crush the Republican Party because they are not for the people or any Democrat or Republican who is not for the people needs to be voted out of office. All right. Our next topic is Bill Maher. Bill Maher is, well, I don't know what happened to him, but he he did a 180 where his views are kind of skewed on woke and stuff like that. Like he has no empathy either. I used to 
think he would have been a good president, but he's starting to change my mind with his comments and stuff like that. So check this out. With all due respect, I was walking down the street today and somebody had so much patchouli on that like a half an hour later I was still sneezing. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the way it is with Bill Maher. And I just know, I, I just cross the street if I... Uh, oh, I'm if, sorry to give you an allergic reaction, but um, I had to watch this over the weekend, and if I had to, I mean, I watched it. Uh, and so now you guys have to as well. But I just find this to be Im- immensely embarrassing. Um, Bill Maher likes to fancy or fancies himself a truth teller tough guy who's gonna tell the wokes and the liberals these days uh, what they don't want to hear about what they need to do to actually make gains in society but it's so funny how the pretend tough guy just immediately cowers when he sits across from someone who's one of the richest people on the planet um and who has a lot of power himself he becomes a little bitch, and that's what this interview embodied. So let's take take a, a listen to these two just brilliant minds speaking about wokeness. So I think a lot of people thought when you bought Twitter that this is kind of an outlier. Like, how does this, what doesn't fit with sure. these other things you're doing? I never thought that. Um, because yeah. I think what you're dealing with big civilization. Oh, so wait, wait, let me guess what he says. I never thought that because... You, um, it's becoming clear that you lied about it a lot of stuff in terms of Tesla. Your whole shingle, like, it, never mind, but like the whole battery and the shingles, the solar panels, uh, shingles thing was all sort of like a fabrication. Uh, your rocket just exploded, uh, far quicker than it, it one could have imagined, and it also uh, completely disregarded the health and safety of everybody who, who got to were in the for the fallout of it. And now that I see that you have made Twitter like 90% less profitable than it was, and also, um, have you know, people are just like leaving in droves, I see. I see see the vision. The through line. You know, what's funny, Sam, is that the week before on his program, Bill Maher was praising the rocket launch. Do you think it's a coincidence that Elon's on the show the week later? Hmm. I don't know. Let's hear. I'm sure Bill's about to to sort of raise all the failures that that Elon Musk has had. I never thought that. Because I think you're dealing with big civilizational issues and problems, and I was right on your page. I think Twitter is one of them. I mean, you have talked about this woke mind virus. Yes. In really apocalyptic terms, yeah. I don't. You should explain why you don't think it's hyperbole to say things like oh it's pushing civilization towards suicide. First of all, what is the woke mind virus? Oh and if God. we don't deal with this, nothing else can get done. Tell me why you oh think that. Yeah. So um, I think we need to be very cautious about any anything that is anti meritocratic um, and anything that is. Uh, that, that results in the suppression of, of free speech. Um, so, you know, those are two of the aspects of the work mind virus that I think are very dangerous. Uh, is that it's, it's often anti Pause it for a second. Now, he's not going to, I don't know if he's going to, I haven't seen this. No I definition. Know, a definition of work mind virus, but, but what we really pay attention to the anti meritocratic exactly. because um, understand that when Elon says we live in a, a meritocracy, what Elon is also saying is, think about how much better I am than you. Mm-hmm. Because if 
if we live in a meritocracy and I have tens of billions of dollars, think of how much better I am than you. Yeah, it's exactly it. That was exactly the reaction I had. And it also feeds into some of his other just crazy ideologies, like his consistent insistence on natalism and pro-natalism when he speaks about how um, we, we are uh, the birth rates are declining in, in countries like Japan and the United States they never you know mention other countries they only billionaires and freaks like him circled in on sectors of the globe that they want more consumers in and so that's why they want birth rates to go up so they can have more consumers of their kinds of products because that's the way that these freaks think um, and that's that's why he has a bunch of kids that he doesn't see or care about because he wants his superior DNA to be spread throughout the globe. Like, I'm just saying, this guy's supposed to be this genius, but really he has a psychotic view of the world um, and it feeds into, you know, exactly what they're discussing here. The aspects of the work my bias that I think are very dangerous uh, is that it's, it's often anti-meritocratic and you can't, you can't question things. Uh, even the questioning is bad. So... Uh, you know, if you, for example, you know, another way to, I don't have one. You know, almost anonymous would be, would be cancel culture, and obviously people have tried to cancel you many times. Many times. Yeah, I mean you're, every week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from left and right, I've had it from both sides. Well, yeah, and it's interesting. People, you and I are both like in that little group of people. Maybe it's a bigger group now. Yeah. Who we, who are called conservative, who haven't really changed. Right. I don't see think of you as a conservative. I'm definitely. Yeah, like, I, I, I at least think of myself as a moderate, uh, you know, uh, so... All right, pause it again. Uh, all right, I'm sorry, because, first of all, not changing does mean you're a conservative, because people who have views of the world that evolve and change with the times means that you're somebody who is more progressive or liberal, yeah. and you respond to changing context, deciding I'm still going to be the old guy that has my views that I had 20 years ago, by definition makes you a conservative. Also, I'll just add, uh, those views uh, 20 years ago were like, uh, we needed to invade Vietnam to show the world that we were still <laughs> the strongest. Yeah, and then he was an atheist, but really it was more just about how Muslims are barbaric. Um, so those views were conservative at the time, too. And this is a hallmark of the IDW right to say, my conservative views are not really actually political. In fact, they're moderate, or they might not be involved in politics whatsoever because they're consistently trying to launder conservative thought through apolitical means. And it's the same thing we saw with the Barry Weiss crowd before, and now these guys are just a little bit richer and have a little bit of a bigger platform saying the same stuff we saw six, seven years ago. And what does it mean that uh, Bill Maher is, they, they, they're trying to cancel me? It means that people are criticizing him from all sides, and yet he's had a show for 25 years. Yeah. At and minimum. He's and there's one, deal. there's one time when he's been canceled, and that was in the wake of 9-11 uh, and uh, with pressure from the Bush administration. And the idea of, like, fans or non-fans or people like us saying, you're an idiot and the, the, your statements are unfounded or whatever, I mean, what what is the world that they're supposed to live in? Like where we're supposed to preface everything, uh, I um, I I disagree with your ideology, 
but I will protect until my last gasp your right to get a big check from Viacom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, like, this thing, like, you, Elon Musk is a union-busting oligarch scofflaw in his sort of public life. In his private life, he's estranged from a trans child. Like, you are conservative, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, I, I mean, or it doesn't speak highly of moderates, if you guys want to say you're moderate. Alright, well, the, the thing I really just want to get to here is the example that Elon Musk gives. So, uh, Bill Maher asks him, what's an example of the woke mind virus? And he must have a ton, since he's very influential. But, but I think, like, the parents are just generally not aware of what their, their kids are being taught uh, or, or what they're not being taught um, they're letting the kids think that they're well, equal I mean, yeah let me let me let me give, let me give you an example that, that Bill Maher does not have which, a kid. Uh, his, you know, his uh, daughters uh, go to college in, in oh sorry go to high school in, in the Bay Area um, and um, and he, he was asking them like well so who are the you know, who are the first few presidents of the United States? Uh, the, 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 they could name Washington, uh, but and I said, well, what do you know about him? Well, he was a slave owner. What else? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Nothing. Right. Like, uh, okay, that's maybe you should know more than that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, and that, that is the old mind virus. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, no, no, exactly. It's, it's like, <laughs> you know, the... Uh, you know, slavery is obviously a, a horrific institution, but, but we should still know more about George Washington than and, that. And by the way, one that was practiced all over the world yes. forever yes. since the beginning oh of time. Right, we're good. Race. We're, yes. we're good. But the, this is this is the thing that I just. Oh my god! So some high schooler said that George Washington was a slave owner, which is true. It's fact. Facts over your feelings. She was boomering her dad. It's not that, that's what he likes so. Oh God about. forbid! Yes, a teenager tries to troll their parents for having conservative beliefs. Pretty sure the kid knows that George Washington is the first president of the United States. Elon. Pretty pretty sure. Well, if the kid doesn't, what has this got to do with the woke mind virus? The civilizational civil. God damn it! Civis, fil, Civics? No, civilizational. Civilizational threat. threat that they're describing. That he, he's dealing with big issues, Elon Musk over at Twitter. Huge civilizational, earth shattering issues. Like a high schooler in the Bay Area who told their parents that Washington was a slave owner. It's, it's, it's seismic. Bill Maher caved. <laughs> Bill Maher cave to get a check and that's some bullshit of course the kid said he's a slave owner he was a slave owner he had kids there are black people and white people descended from George Washington they did a documentary but again he never answered the question he never followed up and he agreed with him he let him off the hook that's why I'm like, that's like sad. Like, why is he, why is he catering to Elon Musk because he got more money than him? That's just sad. Bill Maher was a rebel. Bill Maher was that guy. But I guess we all gotta cater for our checks. And that was sad. That was awful. All right. Our last story is about Trump. Yep, that other guy. Who took credit for something? Check it out. Oh, howdy there, Internet people. It's Bo again. 
So today, we are going to talk about former President Trump saying something that he probably shouldn't have, taking credit for something that he probably shouldn't have, politically speaking anyway. And we are going to talk about how the Republican Party caught the car and doesn't know how to let go, even though they realize they have messed up. And we're going to talk about how they messed up way more than they think they did because they are misinterpreting and misreporting their own polling. Okay, so what happened? Former President Trump was asked if uh, he would support Lindsey Graham's 15-week ban if it made it to his desk, something like that. And in part of the answer, Trump did the right thing politically. He didn't give an answer. He gave the perfect politician non-answer. We'll get something done on some level. We're looking at a lot of options. Means nothing, right? That would have been a good answer. But as is often the case with the former president, he can't stop talking. He can't keep his answers confined. He rambles. While he was rambling, he said, and Roe v. Wade, for 50 years, they couldn't get anything done. I did it. He took credit for overturning Roe v. Wade. Get ready to hear that sound bite over and over and over again come election time. All of this that's happening, it's Trump's fault, and he admits it. Nobody could get it done but him. Okay, so you do have some Republicans now noticing that they caught the car. They're the dog who caught the car. They don't know what to do. And they are giving very non-committal answers. It's happening all over the place. You even have some Republicans helping to defeat legislation aimed at curtailing family planning. Okay, And that's because of the polls. Okay, According to a Fox News poll, 65% of Americans want the medication available. That's, that's a big... That's, that's a big number. That's way outside the margin of error. And that's not something that's going to change. Okay, when you're talking about it in general, 56% of Americans say they want it legal in most or all cases. 56%. 43% want it illegal all of the time or illegal except for certain cases. Okay. And that's how it's being reported. But here's the problem with that logic. That's not the legislation. That's not where the line is. Republicans all over the country have pushed six-week bans. Very restrictive bans. Bans that do not allow for it to be illegal except in certain cases. Those people, they're now on the other side. They're opposed to how the Republican Party is handling it. If you really want to know where the line is, you have to look at just those people who want it illegal in all cases. Seven. Seven percent. The bans they have proposed are so restrictive it limited the amount of people who actually support what they're doing down to 7%. 
if you show somebody one of the bands that went through, somebody who was part of that group who wanted it illegal except in certain cases, and you show them one of those six-week bands, they're not going to be happy because it doesn't allow for those in certain cases because in some cases it's not even written in as an exemption. And in any of the six-week ones, it's too early. So it amounts to a total ban. Now, it's easy for me to get on YouTube and say this. Do I have any evidence to back it up? Yeah, I do, actually. Okay, so there is a demographic that the Republican Party has been... They've been working overtime trying to court this demographic because they view them as conservative, natural allies. And they had done a pretty good job, but now they're starting to see an abrupt U-turn. Okay, so among Hispanic voters, their term, not mine, now they oppose a six-week ban by three points. A year ago, they were in favor of a six-week ban by 17 points. It's almost like seeing the uh, outcomes change people's minds. It's almost like this was really horrible policy that they put through to appease 7% and they alienated a whole bunch of people that they had worked really hard to get. Family planning, reproductive rights, it is going to be on the ballot. And the Republican Party has taken such an extreme position that even people that were on their side a year ago aren't now. Um, and I would like to remind everybody that former President Trump took credit for it. You know, there's that joke that, you know, he, he never left the Democratic Party. You know, for those who don't know, he, he was a member of the Democratic Party at one time. And that really he just ran as a Republican to destroy the Republican Party. <laughs> Man, I know it's a joke. But I mean... Yeah. So, at the end of this, this issue, it's, it's a slam dunk for the Democratic Party if they push, if they fight, if they do if they do what is just even the bare minimum that is expected of them. This is a slam dunk issue. This is going to be good for several percentage points in, in national elections and probably several percentage points in most state elections. The Republican Party took it too far after catching the car, they bit down even harder. And uh, I have a feeling they're going to regret that. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day. Yes, we have to push abortion, voting rights, LGBTQ rights, and we will get them out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Common Sense Party Podcast. I'm your host, D-O-T-T-L-E-Y. 
It is currently May 2nd. Today, we talked about DeSantis, Trump, voting rights, Tucker Carlson. Our mission uh, is to inform listeners about topics that affect the everyday person. I am an independent, registered independent, just trying to enact change in my small way. So, rate, review, follow, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us five stars, give us four stars, give us three stars, give us two stars. Give us two stars, give us any stars. If you don't give us any stars, I'll just assume I'm doing it correctly. We are available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcasts, Pandora, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and yes, yes, we are still working on Apple. And again, shout out to all the people who downloaded our podcast from Belgium, Ashford, Virginia, Wilmington, Cardona, California, Council Bluff, Colorado, San Francisco, France, Snellville, Turnin, Italy, United Republic of Tanzania, Tucson, Arizona, Compton, California, Los Angeles, Portland, Oregon, yes, and we even have someone from Russia. Yep. Thank you. Tell a friend to tell a friend, pass the message, and we will see you next week. century, a time of robots and aliens, and of destruction and terror. Can the Galactic Patrol, defender of the United Planets, stop the evil computer, Umbra? You bet they can. Meet Rob Simmons, the secret inventor of Feisty Ono, Mighty Tor, Versatile Bort, Elusive Boo, Bolt, the master of the elements, and Crunch, the metal muncher. Super robots forging together at Rob's command to form Mighty Orbots, champion of the universe.